Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. My name is Kimberly. This is Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So for those of you that may be listening in or that have been listening for a while, yes, I have changed the time of the show yet again. The shows will be on Sundays at 1.30 p.m. It's just, you know, I've been sleeping through alarms, so instead of being on CP time, I just decided to set a time that was probably best for me, allowed me to take care of some things in the morning, come here, spend some time with you guys in the afternoon, and then the latter part of the afternoon, early evening, do some other things. So this works out best for me. And for those that don't have a chance to listen live, of course, we have a vast archive that you can enjoy. You can find us on Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, and a whole bunch of other places. And I can set us up with a number of others. Just Sometimes I just get kind of tired. But, you know, it's a lot to talk about. It's a lot to go over. So I'm doing part two today, Start Your Own Civil Rights Movement and Stop Hijacking Ours. And, you know, I got into quite a bit of it last Sunday, but, you know, I want to talk some more about it today because I just feel as though I didn't get enough of my points out there. But I do thank the callers, you know, the young woman that called in that wanted to talk about feminism. And, you know, sis, I encourage you to get out there, define your life, define who you are. You need to do that. You don't allow other people to do that because people will have you all kinds of screwed up. So, you know, do what's best for you. Um, The Scottish white gentleman by the name of Jeremiah, thank you for calling in as well because, again, your phone call just really illuminated white male privilege. (laughs) It illuminated, you know, arrogance, white supremacy, all of that. You did it all on your own, and I didn't even have to prompt you. And so for those that have not had a chance to listen to last week's show, go back and listen. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more today because what's so interesting about that particular call was this is the type of behavior and the type of attitude that I see a lot of white atheists, non-believers, you know, even some humanists. This is the type of attitude that I see them having with believers, but more, most likely black believers. I've seen this, and I've never liked it. And there are some black atheists, non-believers, humanists out there that have this same type of attitude. And it's arrogant, it's disgusting, and it just it tells me a lot about you. And so go back, 
and listen. I'm going to rip it apart precept by precept a little bit later on, but, you know, just wanted to kind of give you a sneak preview as to what's to come because, like I said, I'm going to lay it down, you know, for all, you know, all of these communities because um, it's just ridiculous. You want to get out here and you want to say that, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of Martin Luther King Jr. You're standing on the shoulders of Rosa Parks. You're standing on the shoulders of Asa Philip Randolph and all of these wonderful W.E.B. Du Bois, all of these people who gave, you know, their lives, you know, in, in Medgar Evers. You know, some were killed. Some, you know, had their lives ruined. Some of them lived, you know, died in destitution. I mean, a number of things. You know, some of them lost their families. I mean, and again, we had white allies that were out there with us, and I'm not diminishing their role and what they did. But, you know, again, for some of these people that are, you know, conjuring up the names of people and names and memories of people that were part of the Civil Rights Movement, you know, some of them, they haven't even dealt with their own sexism, their own racism, their own et cetera, et cetera, homophobia, transphobia, you know, E, all of the above and some. And so, you know, that is one of the things that just really pisses people like me off. And, you know, even with some of the black ones, you know, you have some people out here, you know, and like like I said last week, I talked about Orlando at the beginning of the show. I'm going to talk about it quite a bit in a few minutes um, and put it in context, you know, with the show here today. But, you know, there are some people, you know, in this community, what's really interesting is they, they spoke up and said something about what happened in Orlando to those, to the queer people of color that were killed and hurt. And, you know, again, their friends, their families, their allies, those of us that identify as LGBTQIA, and the A can stand for asexual as well as allies. And for those that identify, you know, with, with you know, these particular groups, you know, my heart, my condolences definitely goes out to them. You know, I've made several donations, and it's not just going to start there, but we need to talk about it this in this proper context because, again, this should be only about the people whose lives were lost and those that were hurt, not only the ones that were hurt in, in, in the club, but, you know, those of us that identify, and we've had to deal with, oh, you know, harassment, torment, being taunted. Just, it's a, it's a lot of shit that goes on with this, you know, and, and we can identify. We've been victims of hate crimes in one way or another. And, you know, what's interesting is I see people falling over their feet to address the LGBTQ community. And and that's wonderful because, you know, this outpouring of love, you know, I'm I'm loving what I'm seeing, but I see the flip side of it too. You know, I'm seeing churches or pastors or ministers or rabbis or even evangelists or whatever you call yourself out here, you know, praising what happened to those people. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that. And you to be the first one having a shit that if, if there were people out here, and you know what, and there were people in the atheist community 
that, you know, were joyful about what happened in Charleston. And that was disgusting too. And I made my thoughts known about that as well. There were there were many people in the atheist community saying, well, they shouldn't have been in church and they're stupid and all of these things. Absolutely horrible. And what I don't understand is some of these same people that make these types of comments, you want us to come and support you and whatever your endeavor or movement or, you know, hobby at the time happens to be. And then get upset when we say no. And so it's just, it's really interesting, but, you know, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> you know, a lot to say about that. You know, everybody got a dream, but trust me, sometimes those dreams are nightmares. And for some of you out there, you know, don't don't close your eyes to this because that dream does not include us, you know. And so it, it's just interesting, you know, but anyway. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about today, and we'll get to some of it, well, quite a bit of it, because I'm not going to do a part three. Maybe not. I can't say I'm not going to, but I'm hoping that I don't have to. But, you know, I want to talk about some things that have happened this week, as well as prior to, you know, this past week. But, um, you know, I, I want to say something about... Prince and Michael Jackson and, you know, some others that have passed away and that horrible trope that's being, you know, put out about them claiming that they died of drug overdoses when that's not true. In all actuality, it's not true. You know, Michael Jackson had chronic fatigue, chronic pain. Prince had chronic pain. and you know, I have lupus, so, you know, I have chronic pain, chronic fatigue. I have all of that and some. They didn't die of overdoses. They died from the pain, trying to medicate that pain. How Michael Jackson was able to perform the way he did, I don't know how. Because this is no joke. I know people laugh when I say I get between 8 and 12 hours of of sleep a day, yeah, that's about accurate because there are days when I can't do anything but sleep, can't go out the house, can't do too much of anything, you know, and it's hard, very hard. Wouldn't wish this on anybody, but we need to change that conversation. We need to throw out that negative trope. We need to change the narrative about what's happening and, you know, not only with, you know, these celebrities, but just in everyday people. There are a lot of people dealing with chronic illnesses, you know, dealing with chronic fatigue, chronic pain, you know, and for those of you out there, if you know someone, don't look at them and say, well, you seem fine to me, you look fine. Don't do that. That's extremely insensitive. Some people would call it ableism. So just kind of be careful, encourage somebody, support them. You know, let them know that they're loved. And, you know, I think that's more of what we need. We need to, you know, show more love. And, yeah, some of us, we got people, no, no, those words are never going to come out of my mouth for you. 
but I don't wish you any ill will. So, you know, let's let's talk about a couple of things before I get to the meat of this show. You know, the show is generally a couple of hours. Depending on how deep I get into it, I may go into the third hour. So if you're listening and you're enjoying the show, call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. And if you want to speak, press 1. But let me get through a few things, and then I'll be bringing you into the conversation. All right. So for those of you that aren't familiar, I've talked about this a couple of times, but um, huh. I got to bring it to you again. For those that aren't familiar with what happened in California, Jasmine Abdullah was convicted of lynching. Now, Jasmine Abdullah is a person of color. And because I'm not sure what gender, um, now gender that they prefer, I'm just going to use they. And so, guys, over the past few years, those that have been listening to this show, I have I've outlined what they have been doing to our communities in regards to trying to stop these movements, trying to stop these protests. You know, I even took you all back to the civil rights movement. And, I mean, I still haven't done it justice. I haven't done... Um, as much studying on this as I should, but the little bit that I do have, you know, is solid. And I was talking about during the Black Power Movement, Civil Rights Movement, that is when they started diagnosing a lot of these protesters, a lot of these activists, they started um, diagnosing them as schizophrenic because the white establishment just could not figure out why you know, black, brown, red, yellow people were, you know, discontent. You know, they were in America. They had everything that they could have possibly wanted. They were free, all of these things. So why would you be running around saying that you wanted to be free and liberated? And so, you know, there is a book called The Protest Psychosis. Guys, I know I've been saying I'm going to read these books, but, I mean, if you saw my library, you will understand why. I think one day I'm going to take a picture of it. And it will it'll only be a partial, you know, partial picture because, you know, I have a lot of books packed up in bins. And um, But anyway, Jasmine was convicted of lynching. And for those of you that, you know, know a little bit about black history, if you go all the way back, you you know, it'll talk about the anti-lynching laws. It'll talk about W.E.B. Du Bois, and it'll talk about, you know, just a number of notables, you know. And I'm just sitting here. And, I mean, there are protests happening all over the country in regards to this, you know, but... These anti-lynching laws were never meant to to defend us. And I've been telling you that. And I've also been talking about how protesters now are being designated as domestic terrorists. 
And that is what they are convicting some of these protesters and activists here under. They're, they're charging them as being domestic terrorists. And Dylan Roof is, is, is <laughs> was not deemed a domestic terrorist. I don't understand. Legally, I understand. But legally, I don't understand. You know, the laws were written in such a way, again, this was never meant to protect us. It was never meant to protect us. And I just implore you guys to go back out there, do some reading, and understand what's happening. You know, we definitely stand in solidarity with Jasmine and what they're dealing with. And if there is anything that we can do, you know, let us know. I know we've made a couple of contributions and I'm definitely going to make more. But, you know, guys, what do you say? Love one another, protect one another. It's, it's, it's getting hard out here. You know, look at what's happening. You know, everybody knows how I feel about this election. And, you know, I've made comments about some of the white people basically relying on their white privilege when they say that they're not going to vote for Hillary if Bernie loses. Now, there is a lot of truth to that statement about you being able to rest on the laurels of your white privilege. I mean, there's no getting around that, but there's the but. I understand because I'm sitting here and I'm talking to myself every day because I don't know if I can vote for her. I don't know. I'm I'm torn. I'm sure as hell not voting for Donald Trump. Understand that. That will never happen. And I'm not voting for the libertarians either. You know, they're nothing but trump light. So, <laughs> you know, this is just, and when I say trunk light, meaning that they're a little smoother around the edges. Donald Trump is a little rough around the edges. He's more overt, more open with his isms and phobias. You know, these libertarians are a little bit more nuanced, if you will. And so this is why we tell you all you got to pay attention to the you know to the <laughs> to the cold words you got to pay attention to the triggers you got to pay attention to the whistles all of that all of that because it's being done and that's the reason why they don't like people like me out here bringing it to the forefront and just you know calling it out as it is you know, there's there's an agenda. Please don't think that there is not an agenda with these people. You know, there are some things happening now in the atheist community. Like I said, we're sitting back and we're laughing. We told you what was happening. And now it's starting to come to the forefront. But what's even more interesting is some of the people who are, you know, calling themselves reporting the information and putting it out there, they have an agenda behind that, and they're trying to capitalize off of that. So it's, it's just it's, it's a mess. But let's go back to these protest movements. 
you know, the police are treating these protesters, these activists, you know, they're treating them like they're terrorists. And we have to push back. We have to continue to do that. I mean, how is somebody walking with a sign saying Black Lives Matter or walking with a sign saying I am a man or walking with a sign saying, you know, I am a woman? How is that terrorism? And what's so interesting is, (laughs) you know, white people have been allowed to terrorize people of color from the very beginnings, you know, from the first set of people that came to this country. And, oh, yeah, you know, what's so interesting is you have Donald Trump and a number of other people talking about the people that are sent to this country are, you know, rapists and murderers and the worst of the worst. So the white folks that were sent here, do you know why they were kicked out of England? I do. So pot meat kettle, kettle meat pot. So (laughs) go back and read that up. They resorted to cannibalism. But, again, you know, guys, just brush up a little bit on the law, brush up with what's happening. You know, although we know that Bernie Sanders will not be – the presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party. And there are some people still holding out hope. I keep hope alive. You know, not quite sure what's happening now because it's turning into a big old blur. But we have to keep pushing back. We have to keep putting pressure on them because what I need for you all to understand and to know is that without the black, brown, and yellow vote, they're not going to win. There are not enough white people to just vote Trump in or to just vote Hillary in. And so we need to understand the power that we have and utilize that to the best of our abilities because we definitely need to push back on these charges of domestic terrorism, lynching, and a number of other, number of other charges that they have been using against, you know, the activists. And what's interesting is I don't believe, now I can't say this with all certainty, but I need to go and look up to see if Donald Trump's protesters and activists, have any of them been charged with lynching or domestic terrorism? So, again, go out there And take a look around, and what they're trying to say is that, you know, these activists of color and their white allies, they're trying to say that, you know, they're violent terrorist attacks, and that's not true. That is not true. And, again, if you all want to get some information, um, look up Mara Hilliard, H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D, and Mara is the executive director of Partnership for Civil Justice Fund, and look up some of that information and make some donations, you know, to United to this bail fund. And there are some people out there that are saying, you know, the money that that is spent on bailing people out and the legal fees, that money could be used toward developing, you know, communities of color. And 
you know, there is some truth to that as well. But, again, you know, history has shown us that when communities of color, namely black communities, you know, achieve prosperity and independence and, you know, has political, you know, power and economic power, what happens? You have these white lynch mobs come in, and they either run everybody out of town or they start killing them and they take the land, they take their, you know, valuables. This has been done over and over. And my biggest argument for all of this is we know how to do it, but how do we keep it? And that's where a lot of these laws and policies come into play. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to, you know, be a little bit more knowledgeable of, you know, what's happening. And, you know, guys, you know, read up on history. Go and read up on the tactical patrol force, you know, and and those were, you know, ex-military people that were sent out for crowd control. And you're seeing that now, you know, and this is during, you know, from 1959 to 1984, you know, and look at what's happening. Nothing has changed. You know, so guys, go out there, take a look around and see what's happening. We can't allow this to happen. We cannot allow this to happen. We cannot allow it to come, you know, to continue. And pay attention in particular to California and the type of laws that are being passed in California in regards to activists and organizers and protesters. Because usually what happens in California, it kind of is like a domino effect, and it reaches, you know, other states. But go out there and do some research, you know, and I know some of you, you all can't go out there and protest and or be activists or open activists for a number of reasons. And I get it. We get it. You know, so do what you can. Do the best that you can. You know, that's all that anyone can ask of you. So, wow, you know, just go on out there and show these people some love and let them know that, you know, they're not alone, that they have people standing behind them. And there was an article that I'm going to post later on today. Well, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow because I have a bunch of stuff I need to get done today. But it was an article, it was written by Aaron Gray from Truth Out. And it was the title of the article is Anti-Lynching Laws Were Never Meant to Defend Black Lives, The Case of Jasmine Abdullah. And it's actually a really, really good article. And it's important that you guys stay abreast of what's happening out here. And I know I used to post a lot to try to keep you all, you know, abreast of what's happening here. And I haven't been doing a lot of that lately, but eh, I'm going to try. There's just so much going on in my life right now that, you know, there are times when I have to just stop to take a breath. So, again, go out, take a look. Just pay attention to some of the stuff these people are saying. You know, some of these, you know, 
alter, alternative right wing folks that are out here saying people should be tarred and feathered, drawn and quartered, whipped, burned, behead, hung, you know, all of these things. And we're seeing it. And I talked last week, I talked about how that white man called a black woman a fucking nigger bitch and spat on her and the black man she was sitting with at the Starbucks. And people just ignored it. And there have been case studies done about situations like this, but we cannot allow this to happen. As a matter of fact, I haven't even looked the information up. I'm pretty sure Starbucks made a statement, but I'm not really sure, so don't quote me on that. Go look it up for yourself because I need to look it up for myself as well. You know, this this past week I was just tired. So didn't really get a chance to do as much reading as I normally do, but, you know, I do read a lot. And, you know, go and take a look. Go look at that article and then also um, – there was an article by Dr. Julian Malvo, and the title of the article is Acts of Terrorism. And this was written in November of 2015, so the latter part of November last year. And go and, you know, go and read that. You know, it was a good article, and it talked about what was happening on, on these different campuses because, you know, students, administration is afraid of you. Let's just, let me tell you, just in case you don't know the type of power that you have, you college students, you high school students, but mostly college students because you pay good money, parents pay good money, or you want scholarships or what have you to go to these schools. So they need your money, and a lot of these schools are top-heavy, but I'm not going to get into that, but When you go out there and you protest, administration is afraid because you hold more power than you realize. And, you know, that is how we got the American, you know, American colleges and corporations to divest from South Africa when we had all of these protests, you know, against apartheid. So anti-apartheid protests. And what's happening now is you're seeing students across this country protesting because of the prison industrial complex about these institutions being, you know, um, invested in the prison industrial complex. Guys, I want you to wake up and pay attention. Support these children. They're doing a great job out here. They really are you know, and they're putting their lives, their reputations, all of that on the line. And so it's just so much happening and so much to get to. And, again, like I said, during the Civil Rights Movement, you know, a lot of people's lives were turned upside down. And what's so interesting is, you know, while some obstacles may have been overcome or seemingly overcome because, in my opinion, we are in a worse condition now than we were in the 50s. And I'm talking about communities of color, namely black and brown communities. We are in worse condition now than we were then. 
And so some days I just sit here in silence and, you know, sometimes I cry because sometimes you just feel helpless. It's like, what the hell are we doing? What's going on? You know, why can't we get through to people? Because it just can't be one or two people out here doing all the work. It can't be. And, you know, we'll never get anything done. You know, people have lives. People get tired. This is why you always hear us talking about self-care and a number of things. But, you know, again, we're going to segue um, into what happened in Orlando. And I know last week on the show, I was talking about the racism and the sexism and, you know, even homophobia and transphobia in, you know, the LGBTQIA community. And all that is true. You know, they have different issues. But, you know, we're definitely putting our arms around the entire community, you know, but especially, you know, the community there in Orlando, Florida. And so while I was watching the news this week, you know, on MSNBC, yeah, I still watch it a little bit, but there was this, you know, trans woman or this woman, and she was talking about what had happened there, and she was talking about inclusivity. And this was a white woman, and she addressed, you know, the communities of color in the LGBT community. She addressed the disabled community within that community. She addressed the elderly community within that community. She addressed the allies within the LGBTQIA community. She addressed everybody. And she said that everybody, all of us must be a part of the conversation if we are to grow and if we are to make gains, if we are to, to you know, just be, just be, be able to breathe, be able to live, be able to love, just be. And so, you know, I definitely, you know, and I didn't write her name down because, you know, I woke up to it, but, you know, just the fact that her message was inclusive, you know, I I commend that, you know, I definitely do so. And so what's interesting about what's happening in Orlando, and one of the things that I want to caution about that particular situation is, you know, people are turning it into a political agenda. Now, there are a lot of politics in this. However, I feel that the people who have lost their lives and the people that were hurt, their friends, their families, that community, that healing, you know, that being able to breathe, that trying to understand what happened, the coping, the coming to terms of what happened, that takes precedence over the politics of the gun laws. That takes precedence over the politics of people who are blaming Muslims and that particular religion and ideology. Now I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to hint on that. But our focus and the premise of this whole discussion should be on healing the community. 
it should be on, you know, not only healing the people that were hurt and healing the friends and family and members of the community that were, you know, directly affected. You know, I think we all were directly affected. You know, I had, you know, someone very special to me call me up that Monday, and they apologized. They apologized for the way that some Christians were behaving and some of the hateful words that came out of the mouths of some believers. And, you know, let's let's not leave the non-believers out of this. There are homophobes and transphobes in the atheist community. People don't want to talk about it, but it's true. And there were some hateful words coming out of some of these people's mouths, too. And so, you know, the person that called me and, you know, expressed condolences and, you know, took time out to have a conversation with me about how this affected me and those around me. You believers out there, whatever your religion may or may not be or what have you, if you know someone that's part of the LGBTQIA community, just reach out. Just reach out to them, you know, but especially believers for those that are allies. You know, it's important that you let others know that you condemn those words that were spoken by some of these hateful ministers out here. And what's so interesting is, you know, some of these people in the ministry, as well as politicians, because, you know, they are not without fault, they <laughs> without, you know, uh, fault. Um, there were some of them out here making statements, you know, heralding, you know, the, the lives lost. And we've got to speak up against it. It's wrong. It's wrong. So, you know, pay attention. Go out there. If you had a politician in your area, write them a letter. Send, you know, send a piece, an op-ed piece to the newspaper. And for those of you that are believers, you know, send letters, you know, to these particular ministers, you know, especially if you're following their ministry and you're donating to their ministry and you're keeping them afloat. You can't sit back and allow that to happen. But in addition to that, you know, members of the LGBTQ community that are members of these churches that are anti-LGBTQ, that are, you know, extremely homophobic, transphobic, there are some churches where the predominant membership of that particular church is LGBTQIA. And sometimes you still hear homophobic statements coming across the pulpit. You need to check it, and you need to call it out. And so as I get done with all this that I got on my plate right now, you know, this week I think I'm going to write some letters, send some emails out to a few people that – um that need to be called called to the carpet. You know, as a matter of fact, I think next week's show is going to be an open letter to believers so that we can talk about this a little bit more 
And, yeah, an open letter to believers because there are conversations that we need to have. And someone has to get this conversation started. And so, you know, I, again, I came in here to change the narrative, to change these negative tropes around. And that is what we are working on. And so, you know, what's so interesting, you know, coming from a political perspective here, about the people who are attempting to label Omar Mateen, the, you know, the guy that they are labeling a domestic terrorist, you know, they're, or an Islamic terrorist. You know, what's so interesting about that is when he called the police, he pledged allegiance to a number of different groups. And these groups are fighting amongst themselves. And so, you know, I found that quite interesting because to me, it seemed as though he did not understand the politics behind, you know, a lot of the infighting within that particular ideology, you know, because he pledged allegiance to Al-Qaeda, ISIS. Um, let me see here, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the other group, I can't think of it right now, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood and, you know, a number of other ones. And these are all people fighting within, you know, that particular ideology. For those that aren't familiar, you know, there are different, you know, types of Muslims in different places. You have the Sunnis, you have the Kurds. Look it up. Because I see a lot of people running around giving, you know, their opinion on things that they do not understand. This is why when I talk about Islam, is very limited because I don't fully understand it. And while I studied for a very, very short period of time with them, you know, they couldn't answer the questions and neither could the Christians that I had. And so, you know, I just think it's important that you go and you educate yourself about these different so-called terrorist groups because Omar stated that he wanted the American government to stop bombing Afghanistan. And so, you know, there are a lot of different arguments to that. You know, you have people that believe that, you know, we created al-Qaeda, ISIS, and these other groups because of, you know, some of our political um, views and some of our political policies we have in place, you know, bombing, you know, the hell out of these people, you know, and it's wrong. And, I mean, if you go back and you look at what, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and all of them had to say, did you all see that? Anyway, I don't want to get caught up on Donald Trump and what he said, his talk that he gave at, you know, the beginning of the week on Monday, you know, it's outrageous, absolutely outrageous and unacceptable. And for those of you that are, you know, thinking about, Voting for is this is just this is heartbreaking. This I I don't even really know what to say, you know, about what's happening there. But 
You know, go out and educate yourself. Because I see too many people in this secular community talking about, you know, there are a few of them calling President Obama, you know, a vagina. Or, you know, you all know the words. Because he would not say radical Islam. And, you know, that not only came from Donald Trump, that came from a lot of libertarians, and you see that type of rhetoric, you know, in these communities. And it's not just a secular community. I've seen some people, some some people that are that identify as LGBTQ saying some of these things as well. And I was too afraid to go and see what some of the feminists were saying, you know, but I need to get over there to look. But... You know, what's so interesting is, you know, they want us to basically identify this horrific act as, you know, radical Islam. And I just can't bring myself to say that at this point in time because, you know, reading some of the different accounts. I don't think this young man knew anything about Islam, not very much. Many of us probably know more about it than he does or that he did. And what's so interesting is, you know, how people are portraying um, some of the survivors. You know, there was a young woman who talked about, you know, the terrorist when, you know, as they want to call him, um, when he was in the bathroom and he was asking if there were any African Americans there. And she was scared to speak up and a, a gentleman said, yeah, there are about six or seven of us here. And Omar commented that, you know, he didn't have a problem with the blacks because they suffered enough. And so what's so interesting about that is, you know, this woman heard this firsthand, and I'm more than positive that this can be corroborated by others that survived, you know, in in that particular room that heard it. But what's happening now is this young lady is being attacked You have these conspiracy theorists out here attacking her. You have these conspiracy theorists out here saying that this is a false flag. And all of this is just getting jumbled up. It's, It's turning into a caricature. And that is not what we want. These were real lives that were taken. These were real lives that have been devastated. These are real communities that are coming under fire, that are, you know, that that have, you know, more fear. We already had enough fear from just dealing with day-to-day, everyday people and issues. You know, and what's so interesting about this is nobody is talking about what happened in Mexico. And I know some of you are like, well, what the hell happened in Mexico? There was an attack on a gay club, and there were about seven people who lost their lives. In Mexico, LGBTQ members, and it was an LGBTQ club. And so, you know, 
so much gets lost in the shuffle. And I just, you know, it's, it's disturbing. It's really disturbing. And another thing that I find interesting, um, and the young woman's name is Patience, Patience Carter, for those of you that want to look her up. But, you know, what happened in Mexico, you know, again, there's a lot of silence on this. And for me, you know, when I'm looking at this particular situation with the facts that have come out, and, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind in the future, but what I'm seeing with this particular incident is, you know, I'm seeing self-hatred. I'm seeing toxic masculinity. I'm seeing hyper-masculinity and the conversation that needs to be had in this country. And there are so many conversations that need to be had in these individual communities. You know, not just in that community, it needs to be open to everyone so everyone can learn from it. But, you know, when I start coming at these different communities, I start calling things out. But this is a conversation that we, the American public, as well as globally, because it's not just happening in America. I mean, you know, these are conversations that need to be had. And I'm just, I'm outdone with the selective information that is being put out there. And so for those of you that are interested in learning about what happened at the bar in Mexico, it happened about three weeks before Orlando, and I'll post it a little bit later, but, you know, this happened in Veracruz. And so just go out there and take a look around. See what happened. It happened on May 22nd. And the name of the club is La Madame. And it was a gay club in Veracruz. And it was about 180 people in attendance. And seven people were killed and about 12 people were injured. But we didn't hear anything about that. Why is that? You know, and there have been mass shootings all throughout the United States. There have been approximately 1,000 mass shootings in the past 1,260 days in America. Why aren't we having a conversation about that? And while I do believe in the Second Amendment and the right to protect myself and my family and my property. I also don't believe that, you know, I should have an M16 or AK-47, you know, in my possession. That I don't believe. But the right to defend myself, yes. And so, you know, there are a lot of conversations that need to be had. And for those of you that are out there that are silent on this, you know, some of them may be saying, well, I'm waiting for all the facts to come in. Yeah, I know what that says to me. Just like when I hear some black people saying that they're waiting for all the facts come in when black, brown, and red and poor white bodies are being mowed down in the street like they're animals. And what's so interesting is when all the facts come in, they still won't address it. I'm still waiting on some of you all to address what happened with Trayvon Martin. I'm still waiting on some of you all to address what happened with Mike Brown, so on and so forth. The facts are in. 
Now that the facts are in, what do you think? Yeah, you're not going to say anything. You're going to be silent because you don't want, you know, your opinion to be offensive to those that you feel are your benefactors and your sponsors. But your silence is violence. And I just thought I'd share that with you yet again. And we have to talk about these things. We have to talk about it. And for those of you that are out there, you know, with Patience Cotter, she spoke out and she told us what he said. And now she's being terrorized by conspiracy theorists and white nationalists? Really? We're here to protect one another. You got to speak up. You got to say something. You got to say something. This story is not adding up politically about what happened in Orlando, just like it still isn't adding up to me about what happened in San Bernardino. That's not adding up either. You know, and so all I have to say is that young woman, Patience Carter, send her out some love. We're sending her love. And, you know, she was scared. She was scared to speak up, but she did. What's your excuse? And so, y'all, man, this is hard. This really is. You know, this is hard. You know, and when one of her friends, Akira Murray, lost her life, you know, and another friend, Tiara Parker, made it out alive. This hurts. That could have been me. Could have been you. Could have been someone you loved. So all of this bullshit about, you know, staying silent until all the facts come in, I mean, the thing is, is that condemning, you know, these senseless acts of violence, I, I, I just don't understand why you have to be silent about something like that. So, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I'm seeing all these different people and the different excuses that people are making and people turning this into a political issue um, about the gun control. You know, you got that on one side, you know, the Democrats primarily, and on the other side, the Republicans, you have them, you know, talking about you know, radical Islam and all of these things. And what's getting lost in the shuffle are these very, very real people who lost their lives and were hurt and people who have to bury their loved ones. And, you know, there was a story out about a young man, you know, and we're not sure if this is true or not, you know, and I haven't had a chance to watch the interview on CNN with, you know, the young man's parents. His name was Shane Tomlinson. And I'm going to watch that. And from what, you know, was being reported, you know, his parents may have possibly said that they were looking for a church for a funeral because the church that they attended would not allow him to be funeralized because of his lifestyle. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, 
and I'm hoping it's not true. And, again, I need to do some research on that. Like I said, this was, you know, an interesting week for me, so I didn't get a chance to really delve as deeply as I wanted to into these things. And so, you know, we need to talk about that, have those conversations. But one of the other, you know, points that I want to make and that's being lost in a shuffle, not only because, you know, these people – you know, we're members of the LGBTQ community and their lives are lost and it's being overshadowed by politics. But also, these were people of color. And, you know, a, a, a big percentage of them were Puerto Rican. And so what's so, what's so interesting about this is that, yes, Puerto Ricans are people of color. And many Puerto Ricans come from an Afro-Latino background. You know, you've heard me say on this show that the only difference between a Haitian, a Jamaican, a Puerto Rican, a Dominican, you know, and an African-American is a boat um, ride, you know, basically a drop-off point. That is the only difference between any of us. And so we can't get lost in the shuffle and you know, do not allow them to erase people of color. That was the purpose of last week's show as well as this show, is that you have, you know, people running around claiming, you know, our community and claiming, you know, what they perceive as progress made by communities of color while yet not taking accountability or responsibility, their forefathers were the ones that put those obstacles in our way. And without taking accountability or responsibility by saying that they benefit from those obstacles that have been put in our way. So, you know, they want to pull a Rachel Dolezal and do performative action. Yeah, we're one of you until it gets too hard. And we don't like the suppression stuff. No, we don't like that. But we're going to, you know, use you as a stepping stool to make it over that particular obstacle and then wave bye to you and tell you you have to figure out how to overcome that because it wouldn't be fair if they helped you. But yet they want to ride us like we're damn mules. And it's not just white people, you know. You know, hell, I'm just going to talk about it today. There are some black men out here that, you know, treat black women the same way. And so there's just so much happening and so much going on and so many conversations that need to be had. But in the meantime, we're still dealing with the torment. We're still dealing with the, you know, the we're still dealing with the oppression. We're still dealing with the discrimination. We're still dealing with the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, the xenophobia, the transphobia, you know, like I said, Z, all of the above. So we're dealing with these day-to-day issues while battling this other bullshit coming from some of these other groups. And then you act like you can't understand why some of us run for the hills and why some of us do not want to support any damn thing that has your name on it. And so a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations that need to be had 
you know, and, you know, coming from a political standpoint, you have all of these right-wing, you know, alternative right people coming out trying to condemn Islam and condemn Muslims and, and, and do it in a collective aggregated form. So, you know, when one person, you know, commits any type of offense, they blame the whole group. I mean, they've been doing that to black people since the beginning, but yet they want you to see them and to judge them as individuals. And, yes, I do judge people, and, yes, I will continue to judge people, and just like you judge me. So let's not get that twisted. But you're more than seven times likely to be killed from one of these angry white men than you are from anyone else. And, you know, (laughs) you're six times more likely to be killed by a white man than a black person. If you go and look at the raw numbers, you know, you can lie with statistics. People do that shit all the time. You know, and so we're living under this. We're living under these, you know, double standards. We're living under these, you know, unrealistic expectations. And there was an article that came out last week. I sent it around in some inboxes. I'm going to have to start posting this again. But it was talking about Asian Americans. And what I love about that community is that many of them are saying, no, you know, they are rejecting that model, you know, minority myth. It's a myth. And then you have some people out here that are saying that Asian Americans are just like being white, you know, it's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. And they are rejecting that. And I admire that. And I have to find that article. But if you go and put in um, Asian American model minority, just like white, something to that effect, it should come up in Google. But I'll go through my bookmarks and find it and post it next week sometime. And if I forget to do it, just remind me. But you have all of this happening, and, you know, they don't want to struggle. You know, like I said, I talk about the dude bros all the time. And, you know, what you're seeing in this country with all of these mass shootings and, you know, all of the anger and the scapegoating, you know, angry white men. Doesn't matter if they're LGBTQ or heterosexual or, you know, what have you. You know, <laughs> it's all about being centered and being the center of the conversation, getting what they want, you know, making sure that, you know, it's, it's about supremacy, that they're on top. And this is what we're talking about when we talk about a lot of these issues. And, you know, again, there are some paradoxes out there, class being one of them. And, you know, some hard conversations are going to have to come from this. It's going to have to be some uncomfortable people. Trust me, some of the shit that I talk about on this show, I'm not real comfortable with. Believe that. And, you know, for those that know me and that are friends with me, you know, we have these conversations. And, um, yeah, guys, you know, 
it's a lot that needs to be talked about. You know, we definitely need to address these double standards because Dylan Roof is not a domestic terrorist, but Omar Martin is. So when black, brown, red people are being terrorized by whites, that's not domestic terrorism? Really? When white people aren't being convicted of lynching, we're not even going to get started again about that 12-year-old baby girl that got, you know, that, that, that the white, three white boys, you know, wrapped a, a rope around her neck and drug and just, oh, my God, you guys. But the school is looking the other way and trying to play it off and trying to say, oh, it was child's play. If that's the case, then those three white boys' parents should allow, you know, allow some people to string their kids up so they can have the same rope burns. But we know that's not going to happen. You know, and another thing, you know, when when these incidents happen, they like to scapegoat, you know, the mentally ill. And what's so interesting is it's not mentally ill people that are out here, you know, conducting these mass shootings. And it's it's not fair to them. And what's even more unfair is a lot of these prison systems have been turned into mental health care facilities. Here in Chicago, Cook County Jail, their new warden is a psychologist. And this has been happening. So, again, you know, it's a lot that I want to cover today. And like I said, young people, you know, out there, the ones that are protesting out here, you know, saying it loud, saying they're proud, I'm tired of this shit, and I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, I'm proud of you, baby. Understand that. You know, and for the students that are, you know, protesting the, you know, prison industrial complex, continue to put that pressure on your administration. You know, you know, again, if you want to do a call to action, I'm, uh, hey, I am here with you. You know, and we talk about the prison industrial complex, and for those that haven't read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, you know, that is a good read. Go and read and understand what's happening because, you know, I know people who have been incarcerated and they said it's just like slavery up in there. And, you know, it's a couple articles that I'm going to post. One is called Prison Labor in America. You know, how is it legal? You know, because it's like slavery. You know, another article you may want to look up how prison labor is the new American slavery, and most of us unknowingly support it. And we need to put pressure on these, you know, if you're invested, you know, whether it's your 401K or what have you, um, and if they're invested in these prisons, you know, because, I mean, a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of these prisons are privatized. There are some being traded you know, on the NASDAQ, and you, you need to go and find out, divest, put pressure, make calls, write letters. And what's so interesting is, you know, for those that aren't aware, you know, some of the prisoners, 
they have to make the military uniforms for the military. And so it's just so much that's happening, so much that's happening. You know, um, a lot, some of these prisoners are making, you know, specialties like artisanal, you know, making cheeses, just specialties. And, and, and stores like Whole Foods and others are profiting from it. Yet we go bouncing over to just, you know, whole paycheck, as I like to call them, and and buying, you know, these things when we actually can put pressure on these places to stop investing in it. And since we're talking about prison and prisoners, let's talk about Bill and Hillary just for a moment. So... Yeah, I know I'm skipping around, but bear with me. For those of you who aren't familiar with the fact that Bill Clinton and George W., um, they worked together over in Haiti after, you know, that earthquake. And what's interesting about it is that the Bushes are supporting Hillary. You know, now they're, you know, they're being allies, which which is quite interesting. And, <laughs> you know, follow the money, people. Follow the money. There was an article that came out earlier this week, and it was talking about how the Democratic Party is actually moderate Republicans, and the Republican Party was, you know, some alien creature that we can't figure out what the hell is going on over there. But, you know, that is what is happening. And so um, go back, go look this stuff up. Look it up, look it up, look it up. Because, you know, there are some Republicans that are donating money to Hillary Clinton. And we still need her and Bill and the Bushes and all of them to answer questions about what happened in Haiti, as well as Honduras. And so what's interesting is when you have Donald Trump, you know, out here making all of these racist comments, you know, like, you know, someone that has Mexican heritage, you know, can't be a judge and basically what he's saying, you know, be an unbiased judge. And basically what he's saying is he wants a white judge to, you know, to <laughs> oversee, you know, the the financial bullshit perpetrated by Trump University because he thinks this judge is biased. And the thing is, is that, you know, people are falling for this. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand it. And so for those that aren't familiar, you know, America gave money to Mexico to slow down, you know, the the immigrants coming from Honduras into America. They were paid to not let these people pass through. If you don't believe me, look it up. Research it. But, you know, there there are a lot of bad policies that were put into place. Hillary Clinton is a war hawk. I, again, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I can't even promise you that I will do it. 
vote for her. I don't know. So anyway, I want you guys to go and take a look at what's happening and and look at what happened with, you know, again, with these young people that were coming up from Honduras and um, in, in Mexico and how they were mistreated. And you also need to look up who makes the most money from flying, you know, these people back to their respective countries. Who makes the most money housing these people while, you know, they're being imprisoned, waiting to be sent back? You know, we also need to look up the policies, you know, that have been put in place on, you know, again, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Honduras, Panama, you know, Haiti, and a number of other places. You know, we're not having these conversations. You know, go and look up the military-industrial complex, and you need to look at it and then start looking at the race of people who are most affected by this, black, brown, and yellow folks. But yet we're supposed to believe that we live in a colorblind, post-racial America. And so, you know, go out and take a look. Take a look at what's happening around you, and, you know, there are some blacks that support Donald Trump. Why? I don't know how. Hell, that escapes me, too. I'm going to post an article about that and some a little bit later. You know, there are some people I hear that it's all about the money. It's all about money with them. And it's just, it's interesting because, you know, last week I talked about, you know, some of the ills in different communities. And so one of the new buzzwords that people are passing around and speaking on, SJW, social justice warriors, right? And basically, you know, These are people, and primarily, you know, people of color and white allies that are out here fighting for, you know, racial justice, racial parity, um, economic parity, you know, just a number of different things. And, you know, you have some people out here that are disparaging the very name of social justice warrior or, you know, as though... Social justice is something bad, as, you know, equality is something bad to some of these people. And if you pay attention, the majority of the people spewing this type of nonsense are white men. There are some white women, and there are some black people, too. You know, when I see a black man, you know, spewing against social justice and feminism, You know, all it does is take me back to patriarchy row, and there's a lot of that. Even within, you know, these so-called liberal progressive movements, a lot of patriarchy, a lot of misogyny, sexism, you know, and what's happening is they're throwing, you know, the feminists under the bus. They're throwing the so-called social justice warriors under the bus, and primarily it's communities of color that are out here espousing the very need for social justice in this country. 
And if there was, you know, wealth and racial parity in this country, that's actually cheaper than keeping this off-balance system that we have now. It will cost less money. So you need to dig deeper to find out why it's still here. And so, you know, that brings me back to the caller we had last week, you know, Mr. Jeremiah from San Francisco, Scottish and such and such and such a different groups there, and wanting to debate the merits of whether racism, or no, not racism, but whether race exists and skirting around the issue of racism. And see, you know, I'm pretty sure he was a little surprised that I was able to identify him as a libertarian pretty much immediately. And it's because of that type of nuanced argument that he used. And this is something that we see over and over. This is something that Raina and I have discussed on many occasions on this show. So instead of addressing the real issue, they'd rather try to play these word games, you know, and and then try to put together all these words. It's like a word salad. And so basically, you know, yes, race in and of itself is a social construct. It has value because we give it value, but we did not create the system, yet we are compelled to live under it. And I stated last week, I stated in the past, and I say it again today, if we are to deconstruct and dismantle racism in America, the biggest part of that burden is on white people. You created it, and you continue to benefit from it. And while there are some blacks out there who may feel that that's foolish because how can we expect white people to deconstruct and dismantle you know, a system that benefits them, well, how long have we been trying to do this? How long have we been out here, you know, railing against capitalism? And, oh, yeah, that's going to be the two shows after the open letter. There was an article that came out talking about the money cult, and I'll post that this week too. But, yeah, I think it's time for us to have that conversation about um, Christianity, particularly prosperity, gospel, word of faith, and how it's capitalism on steroids and is really a Ponzi pyramid scheme. And so, yeah, we should probably try to break that down. But, um Yeah, so I was able to identify him as a libertarian immediately. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, he said he liked what we were saying about feminism. But these are some of the same men that absolutely hate feminism. And what I find even more perplexing in the secular community is that some of these, you know, LGBTQ white men hate feminists. And in some cases, I think some of them hate women, period. But, you know, we're not going to have that conversation today. And you just need to pay attention. 
pay attention to the wording, pay attention to the nuance. You know, I'm pretty sure, you know, because, well, not pretty sure. I know I smacked down his whole argument when he was like, buck, buck, give me a buck. No, I'm damn well, we don't read the same type of books. And any book that I would have named, he would have said that he hadn't read it. And if he hadn't read it, it holds no legitimacy in his eyes. Now, let's just call it for what it is. He did not call to have a real conversation. He called to derail and deflect. And this is what we see a lot of. And so when he was pulling that stunt asking for a book, you know, I decided I wasn't going to play the game with him, and I just said the U.S. Constitution. And then his reply was, you know, because when I talked about the U.S. Constitution, I talked about how the Constitution is written in such a way that black people are considered subhuman. And that is woven into the very fabric of this country from the very foundation of it. And it's also woven into the various policies and laws, which is why you hear us talking about systemic and institutionalized racism. And I gave a very good example of that last week, talking about white networks and how they help each other. And while they may not see it as being discriminatory or biased, it is, especially when studies have shown that the majority of white people do not have any friends of color. It's just real interesting, but, you know, that kind of shut his conversation down. And so he replied, well, that's why I feel we need to have a constitutional convention. And I'm saying in my head, whoop-de-doo, so I guess that answers all the questions. And see, this is the type of arrogance that many people of color come across in multiple communities, which is why, you know, I'm having this conversation. We, we get that type of arrogance a lot. And, and, and then they say it in such a way that it's only logical, and, and like, their answer is the end-all, be-all. And sitting here pontificating about, you know, religion being bad and we need a constitutional convention because you said so, it's just talk. And you're doing nothing to try to make this come about. And as I stated last week, and I'll say it again today, you need to be out here marching as well. But that's not going to happen because that means you have to come out of your comfort zone because that means that you have to admit that you have these privileges that you like to deny. And also you have to admit that this is not a fair imbalance, you know, um, country as far as economics and a number of other things. But you don't want to talk about that. Why? Because you're trying to capitalize off of it. You know, some of you, capitalism is your middle name. And so that's why we can't have a lot of these open discussions. There was an article I was passing around in the inbox, and it was talking about how whites are feeling like they're able to come out and discuss race and other issues a lot more now because I guess Donald Trump has ripped down the walls of political correctness. And what's so interesting is, you know, they have these studies showing that white people feel as though they are being discriminated against more 
than communities of color. And, of course, that's baffling to us, but, you know, these are very, you know, their feelings, you know, and their their feelings, and it's not going to go away. But, you know, again, you have these people out here, you know, trying to hijack, you know, the different movements, you know, even with the Black Lives Matter movement, you had white folks out here talking about all lives matter. And if all lives really mattered, we wouldn't have to say black lives matter. And then you have these people out here, conservative atheist lives matter. And then you got the blue lives matter. And, you know, just a number of things. Why can't you come up with your own shit? Why can't you be original? And there we go again. You're stepping on the backs of people who are already oppressed and marginalized in this in this country and then attempting to use us as mules to get you from point A to point B with the least amount of resistance. Why? Because you're going to make us take the brunt of the hits. And then you sit around and you say, well, why are they so angry? We have a right to be angry. And for those of you out there, especially black women, Latino women, Asian women, you know, indigenous women, if someone comes at you with that, you know, that trope about you being angry, don't let that don't don't let them back you up into a corner with this. You have emotions. If you're angry, be angry. Have a right to be angry. Own it. Because they're only saying that to shut down your argument. These people don't care about us. They really don't. And so again, you know, going back to the gentleman, Jeremiah, and his conversation. And what's so interesting is the way that he said that, when he kept saying book, book, you know, that reminds me of the way some of them, some of you, how you deal with believers, most notably Christians, and in particular black and brown Christians. You know, and then you get to quoting their Bible to them, and truth be told, many of you are quoting shit out of context, but, you know, lo and behold, so are they. So <laughs> so it's just, it's really interesting. But the way he said that, just the arrogance, and this is what we deal with, you know, whether we're a believer or a non-believer, whether we're feminists or not. And also, you know, in the secular community, you have a number of men running around claiming to be feminists. Some of them really are. And I'll give credit when it's due. But others, some of the others, not so much. They're only doing this because they feel that that's a platform that they can spring from and and get known and possibly generate income from. Um, for some others and maybe some of those that are trying to find their celebrity with that, some of it is because they believe that by telling a woman that you're on her side and you feel her feelings and you think her thoughts and you're 100% behind her, then they'll be able to manipulate and exploit her in ways in which, you know, that so-called male feminist benefits. Some are, some are in it for the sex, some are in it for the money, some are in it for the celebrity and many other reasons. 
But what I'm saying to you out there is be discerning, pay attention. You know, some of these people are on some bullshit. You know, and just because they say that they're one of you, that doesn't necessarily make it true. So, again, pay attention and um, be discerning. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of stuff I wish I could tell. It's not that I can't tell. It's just that I'm tired of telling you because you're not paying. Some of you, you aren't paying attention. You didn't care then. I still think most of you all don't care now, so why waste our time? you know, talking about some of this stuff. We just sit back and watch the fallout and then look around to see everybody acting all amazed. Funny how that works, right? But be diligent. Do your due diligence. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And, you know, what's so interesting, you know, that I'm seeing in, you know, many of these communities that are – you know, Islamophobic in some circles, not all circles, but in some circles. You know, what was interesting is they were quoting Muhammad Ali passing these memes around, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And then this past week, you know, you're disparaging and hating all, you know, Muslims. How does that work? How do you go from one extreme to the other? And I won't even get into the media and how the media dictates how some of you all believe and in, in, in what you believe and, and, and how you see things. As I've stated before, read newspapers from other countries. Read alternative papers, different viewpoints. Read the viewpoints of people that you don't agree with. Why? because it helps you to create a better argument. And in some cases, you may even learn something. In some cases, it's changed my mind about certain things. And so, you know, um, yeah, guys, pay attention. Pay attention. And, you know, again, since I started in (laughs) on these double standards, it's one thing that I do have to talk about. Now, again, my condolences goes out to the family that lost their child at Disney, you know, that baby lost his life, condolences goes out to that family because, you know, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that they're feeling. But yet again, we have to talk about the double standards. Look at how they treated that young black boy. He was three or four, two, three, four years of age fell in the gorilla pit. He shouldn't have been able to get through there. But he fell into the gorilla pit and, you know, he was there. And there was this outrage. And people were putting out petitions. And I saw, you know, I saw hashtags, you know, justice for Harambe. You know, I'm not seeing any hashtags justice for Allie Gator and her four friends that were killed. And so, you know, again, you know, looking at all of this, you know, the double standards that are out here, 
you know, for the little white boy, his father, you know, is being heralded as a hero because he tried to wrestle with the alligator. And I haven't really looked into too much of them, but I, w- I would like to see the scars because if you're wrestling with an alligator, it scratched you up. Something happened. I want to see the scars. I need receipts. You know, if you're going to treat that black family like that, then we're going to treat the white one the same way. I mean, some of you had no problem if that gorilla treated that little black boy like he was a Mr. Potato Head and ripped him apart and rearranged his pieces. You had no problem with that. But you're mad because the alligator used that little white boy as a chew toy. Yeah, I said it. Was it nice? No. Do I care? Not particularly. I just want you to see how it feels. And so the double standards, and it's sickening. And it's sickening to see the people out here making excuses for, especially when I see people of color making excuses for this type of shit. And this is what we're living under. And then again, you know, some of these same people of color, they get angry when we call them tokens, you know, being shrouded, you know, with the title of diversity. It's true. And we'll call you out on them. I have nothing to lose by calling you out on this stuff. And so look it up. Do some research. We need to start confronting, you know, these double standards because, again, the way that that black family was treated, you know, black family, I hope you got a lawyer. I hope you're suing the shit out of that zoo because, trust me, that white family had a check for millions before – Yeah, that white family had a check before they got a chance to leave Florida or the promise of a check. So, guys, this shit is just really hurtful because we're expected to understand, you know, white rage and white anger. But when it comes to black and brown rage and anger, Oh, you just need to get over yourselves. Why are you so angry? This is the greatest, you know, country in the world. We're doing all of these wonderful things. If you were in Africa, you wouldn't have A, B, C, D, or E. How the hell do you know? Both of this country has been built on the backs of black, brown, yellow, red people in certain white cultures. And so this is why we need to have, you know, a conversation about ethnic whites. And some of you all have issues with black, brown, red people, and you don't know why. You just know it was passed down from generation to generation. And... You know, some of you don't even know that there were members of your particular culture that were lynched, that were not considered white. They weren't part of the white Venn diagram at one point in time. 
And even within that white Venn diagram, there's a hierarchy to whiteness. So even if you all pushed out all the black, brown, red, and yellow people, you'd still be fighting each other. Doesn't make a damn bit of difference. So, you know, these conversations need to be had, but again, do not step on the backs of the people who sacrifice their lives, their families, their livelihoods, their reputations, all of that to bring attention to the fact that people of color are being mistreated in this country, past, present, and I'm just going to say future, until we buckle down and we start forcing change. You got to remember, they need our money. They need our help. They need our labor. And we need to find ways to, um, you know, to push our agendas through. We should have an agenda. And that's one of the issues with, you know, people of color and, and poor people in general. They don't have anyone out there advocating for them. And what's so interesting is some of the people that started out advocating for poor people um, and advocating for people of color and all of those things, um, it started out correctly, and then in some cases they were bought off. Other cases, they were read the riot act. You're not going to change anything and don't even try it because we will take care of that real quick. And so, you know, the question is, how are we going to deal with these issues? How are we going to push the agenda? How are we going to work together? But while working together, you know, that's called cooperation, collaboration, not co-opting. Because you have too many people that want to come in and just take over and take over things that they don't understand. And so, again, I'll just say, you know, be mindful. Be mindful of what you're saying. Be mindful of what you're doing. You know, hell, we all make mistakes. You know, that's part of being human. Learn from it. Grow from it move on. But yeah, guys, um, these double standards, they need to be addressed. And as far as, you know, these different communities trying to tether themselves to the civil rights movement, if you're not dealing with all of these other issues within your community, I'm trying to understand how in good conscience, if you believe you have a conscience, you know, how can you tether yourselves to something, especially for those of you that are, you know, that have problems with black, brown, red, and yellow people, and especially for some of you all that have problems with poor people. That includes poor whites, you know, start dealing with the class issue. And so, again, you know, and what was so interesting um, about when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated Funny how, you know, the person that killed him is not referred to as a domestic terrorist. But, you know, he was working on the Poor People's Campaign. And go back and look it up. Look up the tent cities that were on the White House lawn. Look all of that up. 
And so, again, you know, my challenge to some of these different communities that I dig into here and there, you know, I'm, I'm a member of pretty much almost every one of these, you know, communities in one way or another. So I've seen a lot of this firsthand. I've dealt with a lot of this first freaking hand. How can we allow this to happen? How? And why would you want, you know, it's just amazing because it's like you have so many people out here that are so self-centered on what they want and what they're trying to do and, and, and what they're trying to gain and their agenda. You know, if you want to start, you know, co-opting some shit here, you know, you want to say white lives matter because that's what, you know, that's the movement that Donald Trump is leading, white lives. How about white terror matters? Let's talk about that. And, you know, when I'm talking about white terror matters, it's not always talking about, you know, you coming into black communities and tearing them apart by killing folks and by lynching folks and stealing, you know, valuables in the land and all of that. I mean, look at some of the shit that we have to deal with on the Internet, the trolls. That's terrorism, too, as far as I'm concerned, because, like I've said before, Donald Trump is like the walking version of a comment section of an article. And so, <laughs> so it's so much that we have to deal with so much that's going on, and I'm still laughing at a lot of the people out here um, who were quoting Muhammad Ali a couple of weeks ago, and then this past week condemning, you know, Islam and all Muslims collectively. And then what's even more interesting about it, and I posted a couple of articles on my wall um, on when, when they had Muhammad Ali's memorial. And, you know, having white people pretend like they agree with Muhammad Ali's political views. Now, you know, it's not all white people. I don't want nobody sending me an email. No, not all white people. But more than enough, only reason why you can say that you agree with his politics or his political views is because he was silent. And that is what you want. You want black, brown, red, yellow people to be silent. You want poor whites to be silent. And we are just supposed to be seen and not heard, do as we're told, take what we get, do not challenge, and do not critique you. The nerve, when we have the absolute nerve to challenge and critique you and defy you, then you get so angry, you get so angry, and then you want to find other ways to silence folks. And it's just funny, but don't allow anybody to take your agency. Don't allow anybody to take your voice. Don't let anyone, you know, bridle your tongue. Be who you are. And if you're an asshole, be the best asshole you can be. You know, and so I'm just sitting and I'm looking, and like I said before, you know, your silence in in some cases, is tacit agreement. You're being complicit. In some cases, it's violence. And you need to understand the difference. 
and you need to understand and know when to speak, when to step up. And so, again, you know, what's, what happened in Orlando was horrible, you know, and I've cried for those people, and I've donated, and I plan on giving more. But let's not get caught up in the shuffle and allow this matter to be clouded by politics. Now, do we need some gun control? Yes, there is some gun control that needs to be had in this country. Do I believe that they should take all the guns away from everyone? No. So I don't want any letters about that. I've made my stance on the Second Amendment very clear. And what's so interesting about that is many, there are many, many people of color who feel the same way. But we do also understand that the Second Amendment was put into effect for militias to catch runaway slaves, to, to basically police freed black people. We understand the origins of it. And this is why we talk about history, and this is why I encourage you guys to go out and to research and to understand what's happening. But we cannot allow this tragedy to be clouded with, you know, the politics. And the other side of that, besides gun control, the politics of, you know, a lot of these, you know, alt-right people um, having a hatred for, you know, Muslims, having a hatred for Islam. Stated before that the hatred that they have for it in some cases is because it's a black and brown religion that they have not yet learned how to manipulate and exploit. Okay? And that's just my opinion, and I have a right to it. But with what happened in Orlando, you know, more and more information is coming out how he could bear allegiance to you know, three different radical groups that are fighting amongst each other, that hate each other. Something about that ain't quite right. It's not quite adding up. And so that particular trope is kind of being dismantled before our eyes. And especially when the young woman, Patience Carter, spoke out and and conveyed some of his thoughts. And... um and I'm sure that can be corroborated by others. And it's just, you know, I'm looking at this. Let's not get caught up in the bullshit, y'all. Let's not do it. Because, you know, besides, you know, talking about the radical Islam or, you know, that people are trying to say this is, or the gun control Let's look at it from another perspective because, again, you know, I'm looking at all these people and especially some of you in the secular community. So here we go. I'm coming down your aisle again, and you all can thank Jeremiah for this because of Jeremiah. You know, I'm going to be on your asses for a while, right? Because, see, Jeremiah and some of the other people in this community don't want to talk about that assassin in North Carolina that killed those Muslims. You know, they were too busy passing the buck around. Oh, he's an anti-theist, and he's this, he's that, trying to disavow and distance themselves from him. 
knowing damn well that they engaged in some of the same rhetoric, especially the ones that were friends with him. You know, then all of a sudden you had people blocking, you know, his, his profile. You know, just because you block, that does not mean the words that you wrote are gone. You you will have to go and delete all of those words. So, I mean, blocking him ain't going to take away the fact that at some point you agreed with some of his viewpoints. And let's also talk about some of the atheists. They were out there surrounding the mosque, guns drawn you know, while the Muslims were in the mosque praying. You know, and it wasn't just all atheists. You had some believers out there as well. You had some Christians out there, you know. And so, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for them, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it for the atheists either because they were out there surrounding that mosque. And not just one time, this happened several times. And, you know, and, and... there is no excuse for any of that. And we condemned it then. And we've condemned the, you know, Islamophobic, you know, um, rhetoric that, you know, takes place in this community. A whole bunch of that shit. You know, and then also with the Draw Muhammad Day. And let's not talk about Charlie Hebdo. Had a bunch of you running around talking about I am Charlie. You know, you can't point the finger at these other groups without pointing the finger at yourselves. There's enough bullshit, you know, there's enough bullshit for everybody to get some on their face. You know, and we have to stop this. You know, you want to say that Islam is evil and, you know, that it was radical Islam that created a lot of these problems that we're seeing in this country, you know, and and some of you all believe that. But while you're believing that, you need to take, you know, responsibility for your part in some of this. What do you think you're achieving when you draw Muhammad? What do you think you're achieving when, you know, you are trolling Muslims? on the Internet, in the, in the comments section, on Twitter, on Facebook, in groups. You know, what are you getting from it? You know, for those that joined up with, you know, some of the believers to surround these different mosques, what are you getting from that? I don't get it. But you're not, you, you don't have clean hands. You definitely don't have that. And so I definitely want to, you know, call attention to it. But for those of you out there that, you know, you want to clamp on to Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and W.E.B. Du Bois and a number of other people, but I'm willing to bet that they would not have been armed surrounding a mosque. I'm willing to bet that they would not have been drawing Muhammad in an attempt to taunt and antagonize Muslims. And again, I'm not an Islam, you know, I'm not an apologist, you know, for Muslims or Islam. I'm not any of that. But what I'm saying is, you know, we have to take ownership of the bullshit that we did. And so, you know, you got to pay attention. 
What did American atheists tell us? Slaves, obey your masters. Black people went up on that billboard and ripped that shit down. So for those of you of color that are out there that see what's happening with some of these Christians and even with some Muslims, there are some Muslims that are, you know, anti-Muslim. Some former Muslims that are anti-Muslim. You know, just pay attention. You're not going to always be able to pass the blame to everyone else. When you are a part of the problem, I am a part of the problem too. And when you know better, you do better. But all I have to say to you guys is, you know, you have a right to your opinion. That's fine. I have a right to mine. But at this point in time of what happened in Orlando, let's not lose focus. The focus are those people that were hurt and killed and the people that are here grieving because of that tragedy. This is just another manifestation of the hate that these different groups have to face on a daily basis, whether it's through physical assault, sexual assault, verbal assault, you know, psychological, emotional, all of that. You know, and then you have these people that come in and try to recenter the message on them and their agenda, which primarily are white males. You need to stop doing that shit. The world does not revolve around you. And I understand you're you're out here, you're scared, you know, you're afraid, you know, you're losing, you know, your grip, you're losing control. But antagonizing and attacking everyone is not going to help you. And so that is why I'm like, you know, start your own damn civil rights movement and stop trying to hijack ours because the majority of us do not agree with a lot of the shit that you're out here saying and doing. And I, for one, am not going to sit here in silence and watch and allow you to continue to exploit, you know, communities of color and continue to manipulate, you know, and and whitewash history for your benefit. And, oh, yeah, going back to that double standard in Orlando about that little white kid, you know, go back and look up your history. They used to take little black babies and feed them to the gators, you know, the alligators and the crocodiles. Look that shit up. You know, start a petition about that and about how, you know, our community should be apologized to. And, yes, communities of color, they deserve an apology from America, period. And although Bill Clinton called himself trying to apologize for slavery, go back and look up all the bullshit behind that. And, um, guys, we got to shut this shit down. So, I mean, if that's how you want to behave and that's what you want to think and all of that, fine. Just go start your own shit. Don't try to tether that bullshit to us. we got enough that we're dealing with without you trying to pile more and more shit on our plate. That's why you hear me saying, fuck you. 
And you want to know why? Well, you already know the answer to that. And so, yeah, I'm still, I'm still very disturbed about a lot of the things that have been happening, a lot of the things that we've been seeing, and I've got a shitload of links that I can put out there, you know. But like I said, this, this past, these past couple of weeks, been tired, serious, serious fatigue. But um, for those of you out there that are scared that, you know, some radical religious person is going to come and hurt you, more than likely is going to be a radical white male Christian. Again, they're seven times more likely to commit this type of atrocity. And this country is not saying or doing anything to really confront it. They make excuses for it. And we have to confront that. We have to start talking about these things. And, you know, if Donald Trump wins, you know, we're already in trouble, even if he doesn't win, because some of these people that are coming out of the the woodwork, we're going to have a time with them. And there's so much more that, you know, I can talk about and get into, but, um, you know, uh-uh. we can't, we cannot allow it. We cannot allow this to happen, you know. And for those of you that are in these communities that are the resident tokens, what's so interesting is, you know, some of you want to say that you worked hard and, You did A, B, C, D, and E. And in some cases, you know, that could be true. In other cases, well, you were the only one showing up. So, yeah. In other cases, well, yeah, you're speaking the same language they are. Why? Because you want the same privileges and, you know, you just want it for you, yourself, and a few of your cronies, some of your friends. And for some of you out here, you know, all I got to say is some of your success, some of the success that you have achieved is because of your anti-blackness. And you may not want to face it. You may not want to accept it. If you want to challenge me, go for it. You can always give us a call. I'll be here next week. And we can talk about these things. But what I just said is true. Some of your success came from you being anti-black. Mr. and Mrs., let's wait until all the details come in. Why? Well, you already know why. And so, again, thank you guys for calling in or listening to the show today. I'm Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. New showtime, 1.30 in the afternoon, Sundays, all right now. So you all, you have a wonderful weekend. Take care. I missed you guys. All right. Love you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.